All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson. And with me today is not Marty Frederick, uh, our co-host. He actually is on a trip with his family. And Marty and I uh, have a pretty strong commitment to family and know that family comes before podcasting. And so Marty is enjoying some much needed family time. So that's where he is. But that's okay. You guys aren't going to have to listen to me ramble to myself (laughs) for the next uh, hour or so. But with us today, we do have a guest. It is Mark Karras. Mark, how's it going? Great. Great to be here, Josh. Good. Mark, thank you so much for for taking some time and and hanging out today. Marty uh, passes on his regards. Um, Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. But like I said, he's spending some time with family, which is important. Cool. Cool. Good for him. Yeah, so before we jump in, though, and even mm. before we kind of get to know you, we have a question that we like to ask everybody who comes on the show. And we often, you know, we play it up and, and make it seem like a big deal, but it's it's actually pretty silly. Yes, uh, I love Jesus. <laughs> good. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. We should start asking that. Okay, right, yeah. right. But no, so the, the question is, who is your favorite ice hockey team? Wow. Well, I'm from New York. Okay. And it's only I only really love a particular team due to vicariously experiencing the passion of my uncle. Okay. Who was in love with the Rangers. All right, there we go. Man, that was uh but that's that's about the extent of it. <laughs> that's fair enough. You were able to yeah. name a team. That's a positive. Yeah. We uh we I, we always like to joke and tell people we had a uh, a friend of ours, Bruxy Cavey, uh, he's mm-hmm. a pastor up in Canada. He was on the show. And when he came on, um, he was like, yeah, I'm a bad Canadian. I, I can't even name a hockey team. <laughs> so you're, you're doing better than the Canadians. That's nice. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I got a team. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> Sweet. Um, well, thanks for, for playing along. But sure. uh, just, just so people can kind of uh, get to know you who maybe aren't familiar with your work, mm-hmm. uh, can you just kind of let us know, like, who are you? What do you do? And maybe give us um, a little bit of your story and your, your faith upbringing. Okay, that's, there's an hour there. So <laughs> this is true. that should be exciting. Uh, you probably heard some of it before. So I, it's, so I wasn't raised Christian. 
I do remember some vague memory of some Catholic, um, maybe it was communion or something. I, and I remember getting a lot of, lots of money. I probably was like six or seven. I don't even remember. But so it wasn't, it wasn't a very religious home by any stretch of the imagination. Every family is dysfunctional. I think it's the level of dysfunctionality is, is the question. I think mine was a little off the chart, hmm. uh, unfortunately. But that is the milieu, right? That's my environment that hugely shaped who I am today. And so it involves kind of a lifetime drama movie, you know, of <laughs> drugs and violence and gangs and, you know, death and uh, mental illness. I mean, it's pretty wild. So my, my mom and my stepdad, who's my stepdad is, I think he got out. He just actually got out of prison mm. about 15 years, but he was a big guy in the pagans. And so, okay. uh, you know, there's like pagans as hell's angels. And so that was, you know, that was a pretty scary environment to grow up as a kid. And then my mom and him, they did sell drugs. And of course, do drugs. And um, my mom wound up uh, passing away from a drug overdose. Mm. So it was a pretty crazy environment. And then there's abuse and all kinds of stuff. It, it's so hard to talk about my story. I'll, I'll let me be candid for a second. Man, I just I posted about my family and my past, and you know, a family member read it, and then my dad read it, and oh my god, it caused. <laughs> such a controversy sure uh, and um so it's it's really interesting territory to navigate nonetheless it's that's my story mm -hmm. and i don't think my dad will be listening to this <laughs> um, so yeah a lot of abuse a lot of you know i was a cutter depressed lost suicidal mm. fast forward the lifetime drama to uh, my twin brother tell me oh well, yeah, then there's my younger brother. But then my twin brother told me about Jesus. He became a Christian a year and a half before I did. And I was in a progressive metal hardcore band at the time. And I would come home from shows and he'd, you know, tell me about Jesus and, you know, Jesus loves me. And I'd be like, F you, man, I don't want to hear about Jesus. And, and then slowly, I, you know, I started reading the Bible without him knowing. And because that dude was, he was, something was going on, you know. Sure. And then to fast forward to trying to kill myself by getting AIDS to finally being in a field all by myself, lifting up my hands to the skies and saying, God, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. If you're real, show yourself to me. And I remember that because it was, it was like a, a demarcation. It was sort of the, you know, the, the BC moment. And that's when I experienced a love that I could not, I am in some ways a master deconstructionist, but I can only go so far in deconstructing that experience because there was no crowd, there was no fog machines, there was no hype, there was no one. It was just mm -hmm. me in something transcendent, something not me, ravished me. Mm. And by I to this day I could never forget that. I would probably say that no matter all the deconstruction I have done uh, in, with Christianity and the Christian 
uh, you know, faith and doctrines, that it, it, the, it is that experience and subsequent experiential experiences that kind of have kept me in the faith. Mm. So that's a little quick snapshot. Sure. Yeah. Mm. So what do you, what do you find yourself uh, doing today? Today, man, I had this insatiable, so I became a Christian and then I became a Christian in a oneness Pentecostal church, Okay. which was, you know, if you looked in your Christian bookstore at the time, they were in the, the cult section. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, one getting out of one hell sort of into another. Sure. But um, they were very, you know, we were the only ones who were saved. We were the only ones who had the truth. Uh, I couldn't fellowship with people who believed in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. You had to be baptized in a certain way in the name of Jesus. If you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you'd be going to hell. Very, very narrow what we would probably call legalistic doctrines Mm. but i always wanted to go to school and i wasn't allowed to go to school and then something crazy happened with the pastor and the pastor's wife and i basically ran away to a christian college naya college and then i just had this insatiable hunger for knowledge for understanding for truth and then I got my master's in counseling and then master's of divinity. And I'm just finishing, well, I'm, I'm almost finishing my dissertation for oh, my sweet. doctoral program. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and so I'm a, I'm a, ther- a licensed therapist now, uh, adjunct professor uh, at a Christian university. And, you know, like to write a little and talk a little. Sweet. Well, that's mm-hmm. awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Yeah. And uh, that, I think I was telling you a little bit before um, uh, before we started recording here, uh, part of, well, so we're going to get to the topic for today, which is your most recent book, uh, Religious Refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I that I loved about it so much, like I said, is how you were able to, you bring together the, um, you know, the pastoral side of you, but also you, get, you bring together like the the psychology and the they're neuroscience and they just mesh ever so nicely uh, to talk about this, you know, deconstruction, reconstruction uh, kind of stuff in a way that I thought was super unique and helpful. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, there's a, there's only really a handful of books that are specifically on this topic, sort of mm-hmm. the, uh, well, you know, Josh Packard has um, his, I think it's called church refugees. So they have different names, but there's only a handful that are really talking about this process. Um, Kathy Escobar, for me, is as one of the uh, incredible, most incredible books on this topic too. That's called Faith Shift. Mm-hmm. But I think what I tried to do was write a book that integrated in in with this dancing between theology, philosophy, psychology, neuroscience, and spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's uh, so. That's hopefully I accomplished that task. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. I think you accomplished it very well. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Josh. Yeah. So, um, with all those those things in mind, all those cool elements, why why did you decide to write religious refugees and like mm. who who is this book for? Sure. I decided to write it because I would classify myself as a religious refugee. So I have that experience. I love people. I love the bride of Christ. 
yet I saw so much pain, so much hurt, so much disillusionment, so much anger, resentment, shame, pain, ostracization, marginalization, oppression with my precious brothers and sisters. And so having those experiences as a therapist, I, I have that experience. And then as a pastor who worked in a church for a while, uh, I'm also an ordained pastor, although I'm not doing that right now. So meeting and encountering people in that sort of medium. And then of course online and just friends. And I said, my goodness, where are the books on this topic? And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I wish I can just sort of replicate myself in a way, just, I, I want to help everybody. Uh, that was my heart, but I obviously can't do that. So I said, let me write a book and I just want to be of help. I want to be one resource on the pie chart of what it takes to deconstruct and reconstruct well. And that's why I wrote the book. And so I wrote it for religious refugees. And mm. so just to operationalize the term, you know, for me, it's a person who has chosen to flee their homeland of institutional religion mm -hmm. to find a space where they feel safe and congruent. Mm -hmm. And so religious, some call it spiritual refugees, church refugees. And so for me, refugee, they're spiritual and this is, you know, I was very interested in writing this book. I wanted to say, what does the research have to say about this as someone who's doing research and in the field of psychology? So reading a lot of research on it. But Josh Packard, who's a sociologist who did his research on the, quote, de-churched or the duns, they, you know, found that these people were the most committed people in the church, mm. right? They were deeply passionate about the things of God. And so they yet chose to flee religion because, because of all kinds of cognitive dissonance, be, because of rejection. And we'll get into maybe some of the reasons why they left, at least from a qualitative research perspective. But they wanted to find a different space and place where they can feel safe, congruent, and be themselves in God for not only their own sake, but for the sake of the world. And so that's why I wrote the book. That's sort of the population I'm working with. Those are really, um, yeah, the, those are really wrestling through this, this kind of faith shift. And yeah. Sweet. Well, yeah, that's awesome. That I think that um, the, I mean, you're exactly right. Like this deconstruction, reconstruction kind of journey, there's not um, a lot out there. I mean, there's some, some really good pot, you know, podcasts that uh, started exploring these kind of things. Like I know, uh, the liturgists was super mm -hmm. popular and, and still kind of, you know, they continue to be today. Then uh, for me, I came to bad Christian podcast first, if you've ever heard of them. Uh -huh. sure, um, sure. And then I, I went from bad Christian podcast. I still listen to them, uh, you know, sometimes for fun. Um, but I, I really love you have permission, uh, which is a podcast by a guy named Dan Koch. Actually, that's where yeah. I first, I first mm -hmm. heard of you. I listened to the episode you did with him. Um, yeah, that's quality, quality stuff. Right uh, there. Yeah, Dan is is awesome. Um, yeah. He's doing some great stuff. But I think, um, I mean, even our audience, too, is kind of this deconstruction, reconstruction, uh, mm -hmm. kind of grouping of people. Um, mm -hmm. I was told recently, actually, I thought this was kind of funny, um, that like when somebody from that's pretty active in the, de uh, the you have permission, uh, Facebook group, was telling mm -hmm. me like, yeah, oh, well, whenever I want to listen to a, a conservative Christian podcast, I, I go listen to Rethinking Faith. And wow. I, I, <laughs> I started laughing pretty hard because 
I don't, I would not consider us a conservative Christian podcast, but um, I guess to him, which is fine, but I thought that was funny. Right. Um, it's, you know, pers- perspectival, <laughs> you know, right. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. But yeah, so the, but, but the, the whole point of, of my rambling though, is it, it seems like this deconstruction reconstruction journey is something um, that is pretty popular. Um, mm-hmm. But it also, I'm, I'm learning as I'm getting older and, you know, my brain is developing where I can be more introspective and, mm-hmm. and start asking these kind of questions um, and speak with other people that this process seems like it's all just a part of the faith journey. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this journey of becoming, uh, but often we're not told that <laughs> we're just right. kind of told like, don't, don't go there. Um, yeah. and it, it breeds mm-hmm. this, this, um, thing that, that you kind of called religious disorientation growth syndrome. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to, to see if you could talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So that, that phrase deconstruction, reconstruction, I admit it, some find it, um, not very palatable. Some, some have never heard of it, but yet have gone through the process, right? So, because, you know, obviously, you know, it comes from deconstruction, certainly, you know, sort of a philosophical stream. So, but regardless of the label we want to put on this process that I'm referring to as a religious disorientation growth syndrome, and I'll, I'll get into the nuances of that, it's different than sort of in one way we can say we're all deconstructing and reconstructing for our lifetime. But I think to be fair, there are people who go to their deathbeds, not deconstructing and reconstructing very much. Right. Then there's people who, yeah, I mean, they're shifting. We're all shifting. There's a fluidity. And so we can change a belief here and there, but I don't want to dismiss this season, this this experience that some people have that is so palpable, so visceral, so experiential, so disorienting that it's different than the sort of the slight changes we might experience going through our lives. So that's why I kind of coined it religious disorientation growth syndrome. And maybe some of your listeners in hearing this can see if this fits where they're at or not. So I, I call it the season of one's experience where all of a sudden they're, they're doubting or denying one's religious beliefs that were once held as true. There's a subtle or intense anxiety about a person's relationship with God. There's an increase of painful emotions such as anger or loneliness, shame, guilt, sadness, and despair. Isolation and criticism, feared or realized from members within their own family and or religious community. And I say feared or realized because sometimes the suffering actually comes from our projecting the worst of what people are saying and thinking about us. And it could be based on some past experiences, but there's no doubt as a therapist, certainly projection uh, is very common. But, and then the last one is existential angst concerning a person's identity and future self. So this season, it causes people to suffer emotionally, spiritually, and physically more days than they care to experience, right? And then there's the element of growth. So I put growth in there because I have met so many people, and including myself, where this paradoxical 
disorienting cataclysmic event of this faith shift can be this experience that unleashes a human being who knows themselves more deeply, knows who they are, knows what they want, has reduced, uh, has reduced shame and fear. And so it's, it can be a very transformative experiences uh, for, for many people too. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I know just for me personally, I can very much attest to that and, and say you wrote a book about my experience <laughs> um, yeah. uh, as if you interviewed me and then decided to write a book about what I told you. Um, but for me, it, it was very interesting. It was like I uh, kind of started for me, um, I started taking theology seriously my uh, sophomore year in college. Mm. Um, I went to Messiah College, which is like a private, you know, liberal arts christian college in mm -hmm, pennsylvania mm -hmm. um but it, it really didn't start for me until i got my first job working in a church and it sucked <laughs> to, mm. to be to be blunt mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. on a wide variety of levels and we, we've done episodes talking about that but that's really where this this disorientation for me started to happen and i mean the um i developed depression Mm. Um, I already had anxiety, like generalized anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know to call it that at the time. I didn't realize that's what it was until then. Sure. Um, but the, the, you know, um, depression developed then and, uh, that was three and a half years ago. And, mm -hmm. um, I'm still working through that journey, but just like you said, there has been a whole ton of growth that is also mm, beautiful, uh, stemming out of that, that has been, uh, really awesome. Like I think about, um, if I could go back and change the things that happened to me, um, like if I would go back to Egypt, so to speak, the answer is always no, you know? Right. Right. So that's, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's spot on. But you also, um, a, a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned this group of people, uh, called the Duns mm -hmm. and talked about how the Duns are kind of, you know, piecing out <laughs> for a lack of right, uh, right. term from the church. So, what are some of those, uh, you know, the major factors that you see, you know, playing into why that is happening, why people are entering this journey and then leaving the church? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I've accumulated the, well, so you have the D church, the Duns, and to be fair, there's other people who give so many different subcategories within them so you know there, there's so many different labels but for the most part sociologists and psychologists they're calling you know them the duns and dechurched so i looked at the the research from josh packard uh the uh, bailfeld based cross-cultural study that was looking at a hundred it was german which was really interesting german and u.s uh, folks who uh, deconverted from Christianity. Then you have Philip Salem Francis's work and Dave Kinneman from the Barner Group. He did his work. All that to say, I, I have these reasons why people have left. And I, I share this in my book. And I put it in a few categories. So just to kind of really crash course through them. One is politics and bureaucracy. That was definitely one of them. So people are leaving church as they know it. And I don't say the church universal, but the institutional church as they knew it. And they could maybe be 
in a parachurch, but most of them are saying, yeah, listen, I need to take a break from the church, but I'm still chilling with Jesus. So they're still, you know, they're still Christian here. And even some say the label of the church is somewhat pejorative, but that's neither here nor there. So politics, bureaucracy, some felt they couldn't make a difference in the church. They had powerful gifts to share. They had passions. They had insights. They had super create, creative ways to, to um, you know, to share the love of Jesus. But they hit these walls, right? So maybe they were divorced or gay or too young or too old and not attractive enough, not articulate enough, not white enough, not able enough, not educated enough, or simply female or you name it, they reach these barriers and because of these politics in the church, so to speak. Even one small example, when I was in college, there was this guy who his knowledge of the Bible was incredible. His passion for Jesus was incredible. His passion for missions was incredible. The way he talked about these things was incredible. And I never forgot this. The problem was, that and this was my perception he was slightly overweight and he had acne like you know all over his face and i said why are those like really cute hot people on stage sharing about jesus and what's going on with this guy like and so that was sort of the politics and, and granted i was probably one of those people on stage that people were you know so um but yeah, it, it, I never forgot that. But th there's these obstacles, right? These politics mm -hmm. and bureaucracy. And certainly race is, racism is a big thing where people have said, literally have used the phrase, I've been gaslighted. Like I was in this church, you're telling me what God is for. You're telling me who God is against. And then you tell me who Jesus is, and he sounds like this subversive, incredible rabble rouser who's for love, for justice, for freedom. But then when this happens, you're silent, right? Or when this happens, you're actually rooting for this guy or this group instead of the marginalized group who, in my perception, Jesus would definitely be mingling with. So that's politics, bureaucracy, there's Clone War Syndrome. This was my experience, certainly in my church, where the church felt like it was at a perpetual war with the surrounding culture, with the church down the road. I mean, because they have the truth, right? Everyone else was deceived by Satan. Um, that and, and, you know, forget about, like, you listen to this kind of music and this, watch these movies. It's all it's all demonic in a sense. I came from a pretty strict Pentecostal church. And so there, they were in the business of creating clones. There was no room for messy dialogue and discussion. And like I said, I couldn't even hang out with people who believed in the Trinity. Isn't that crazy? Right? It's super crazy. They, <laughs> I know. And they wanted people just to be like them with the same view of God, the same view of the Bible, same view of Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, we, that there's only two of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we both and both of them are. I mean, I relate heavily to both of them. I mean, it's, mm, the mm -hmm. politics is crazy. That that was super off-putting in the first that first church I told you about. I worked in. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember like 
like seriously the head pastor because one of my things i was in charge of helping volunteers who were like greeting people at the door and you know all that kind of stuff yeah and i was told like that person is too fat they can't be at the door people don't want to see a fat person i'm not even Mm. kidding this sounds crazy but like you can't do that or that person's too old or like you know this per he's he's too weird whatever Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. the the second thing that's crazy is dude we were told that quote if you want to get along around here you're just going to have to drink the kool-aid <laughs> yeah 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 really i mean if listen I, I get it if you're running a broadway show uh with every single element you know looking perfect being perfect you know everything is mapped out i've been in services like that that every moment is sort of on a cue card you know ready to go i can understand why you would want you what you perceive as models right for but think about what the person who might be a little overweight or weird or a different color, they're getting these messages, right? Mm-hmm. They're getting the vibe. Yeah. And this is why some people are saying, I can't be in an environment like that. It's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just two of them. Another one is moral prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Certainly my experience in the Pentecostal church where, you know, it was, it was more about sin management than it was, well, actually, sin management and, you know, eternal torment prevention, right? Like every service was, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? And every service there was an altar call. Like, how many times do you want me to cry and say, Jesus, save me? And so, but, but a lot of people are saying, listen, it's got to be more than just about us. Like, I have this passion. I'm seeing God-shaped holes in the world and people's lives and circumstances. I want to be active adventurers for God and to be a solution to some of these things. But I don't feel empowered in church to do it. I don't feel, all I feel like is, I feel shame because I feel like I'm never good enough. I could never get saved. And it's all about morality, right? And so that, that is another sort of moral prescription heading uh, then there's shallowitis. This was another experience where there'd be people who just want to keep it real. And then they go to church and it is like a Broadway show. And there is the, you know, fog machines. And, they, you know, listen, I, I don't know, maybe they're okay. I, I don't have anything. Yeah, maybe fog machines. But like every song is in every service in every month and every year is just upbeat praise, sing the chorus 50 times. And they're saying, listen, I'm struggling with mental illness, or I'm struggling with the consequences of racism, or listen, I'm, I'm, I want to lament, I want to protest, I want, but these things are split off. So it's only sort of the Osteen smiles and attire that are really appreciated and accepted. And some get the message and because they experience it as shallowitis. They just say, I can't stomach it, you know? And, and so many people say, I'd rather hang out with my unbelieving friends because they just keep it real, right? I don't have to hide, uh, many people uh, would say. Yeah. And the last one is uh, sort of a judgment, um, rejection. How many people, how many of us, how many times have I said, I've been told I am a heretic, I'm going to hell, I'm listening to Satan, Hey, Mark, you know who questioned God's word? Hath God really said, Mark? 
Are you hanging out with the devil? And man, it's, it's, it's toxic. And some people say, you know what? You put one, two, three, four of these categories in the mix. And I, I'm sorry. It's, it's not, I, I don't want to. And this is the tension. Like, this was home for me. But yet I'm, I feel like I'm being forced out as a religious refugee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, it, yeah, it's crazy. And like all, I mean, all five of those things you laid out, um, like, I, I mean, I fully, you know, can identify with it's, it's really crazy. And the, the rejection one really sucks, man. That's something that I, I mean, just sort of oh, like man. a complete personal side. Mm. Um, I've been noticing recently and I've, I've been going to uh, therapy and um, these kind of things have surfaced. Um, yeah. And I've been working through them, but this, this idea of rejection, but it brings shame. Um, mm-hmm. And like, there's so much unchecked shame in my life that I'm like, now seeing and realizing that's making so much sense of why all these other things are out of whack for me. Um, but it all stems from this rejection. Like, like you were saying this, here's the box that means Christian. Sorry, Josh, you don't fit that box. You're a heretic. You're going to hell, you know, shame. Yeah. Here's yeah. the, here's the box that they call youth pastor. Here's what it means to be a youth pastor. Oh, sorry, Josh, you don't fit in that box. I guess mm-hmm. you suck at what you're supposed to be doing. You know, um, yeah. Like uh, all this stuff. It, it's, it's crazy. Shame is, man, I could talk forever. I, I'm a, I have a shame fetish, very yeah. passionate about, <laughs> uh, and I write a chapter, you know, the mm-hmm. number one antidote to shame, but yeah, you know, one of the things too, we are wired to connect. We're wired to belong. We have these brains that have, you know, developed over a long period of time that we were in groups right? At one point of time, we were in tribes, we were in groups, and we had to conform. There had to be homogeneity. Why? Because if we strayed from the group, we would die, right? Because if we didn't conform, they would kick us out, which would be a death sentence. So our brains, even in this contemporary context, it feels like a death sentence. Like, but but then there's sort of the person who's going to dish out the death sentence too is God's in the mix. Like the most powerful being in the entire universe. Cause it, it's cause our brains are saying, we're not just getting rejected from the church. Like church is connected to God. So if the church is disowning me, then my goodness, I must be doing something way wrong. So God must be pissed and mad at me too. And so no wonder why many people, and thank you for sharing and being vulnerable, Josh, I myself have struggled with anxiety. Some people experience it as PTSD symptoms. They, one writer, uh, is it Linda K. Klein, talking about the purity culture, she says, I I feel like hearing our stories as women that have been immersed in the purity culture, you would have thought that we would have been in war. When you hear our stories about insomnia, about anxiety, about anxiety attacks, about incessant shame and guilt and disconnection and disorientation, you would have thought we were in some kind of war. And this is why I'm so passionate about talking about this and why I wrote this book, because it it shouldn't be the case, but since it is, I wanna be a resource for folks like us who've gone through this and are going through this. Yeah, most definitely, and, and I love that. 
and I think one thing that that comes through also in your in your book and your work is um, you know talking about this idea of of needing to be connected, but you make a huge point um, that this uh, journey, you know, going through the the deconstruction reconstruction journey, mm-hmm. is not um, it's not our fault. It mm-hmm. just is kind of mm-hmm. happening, and you're not alone in this. So why, why did you feel it was so important to point out like, Hey, this is not your fault. And also you're not the only one. Well, I shame, right? Like if, if we, uh, if we think it's our fault, we're going to just blame ourselves. I'm, I'm tainted. I'm listening to Satan. I have sin in my life. I'm not okay. I probably should have read the Bible more. I should have prayed more. I should have did this. I shouldn't have listened to this podcast. I, I start blaming myself, but that's, that's, that's what's so sad is that it's not our fault. It's not our fault. I mean, man, it's, it's almost sound like I'm, I'm talking with someone who's been abused and who's experiencing the trauma from that. And I say in, in such in a compassionate way, that, listen, it's not your fault. It really, really is not your fault. You're not a bitter prodigal son or daughter, right? who chose to take all the beautiful things you learned along with your rich inheritance of the Christian faith only to squander it in some big debauched and satanic soiree, right? It, the problem is, is there have been Christian practices, policies, and propositions that have pushed us away, right? We don't wake up one day and say, yeah, I'm just going to leave. It's usually it's over a period of time of these things that become sort of ingrained in the splinters, which we might talk about later that we can't ignore. It's like a headache. It's like, I didn't ask to have a headache today. It just happened. Right. I don't, people don't ask to be disoriented. It just happened. And so it's not your fault. We are legion. There's a whole bunch of people that are saying, Something's amiss here. Uh, we're not saying all churches are bad. Uh, we're not saying God is bad, although people have to work through those things, right? There's a season or a station where they have this perception. But we're saying there are some things in some Christian churches that are toxic for the human soul and psyche and are causing us to distance ourselves from ourselves, from God and other people, and even creation itself. Yeah, man, it, and it drives me wild too. It, it's so sad to see. And I think you, in your book, you, I think you were the first person to point this out. And I'd been, been thinking about it for a while, but I also, I was never really brave enough to, <laughs> to vocalize it, I guess. Um, but you make this really interesting point. That's like, if this is happening to so many different people, and then so many people are coming out on the other side, so to speak, um, in a relationship with God that is, is, is better, it's more beautiful, it's more true, um, it's more loving, then like, could it be that mm-hmm. God is the one behind this journey and this process? And I want to say yes, yeah. amen to that. I, that's, I loved that when you, when you brought that up in your, in your book. Yeah, right. And, and um, listen, I, I can you know, as a therapist, I'm always thinking about different points of view and perspectives. And so I can understand why someone who, you know, would be for all intents and purposes, a 
fundamentalist, conservative, deeply conservative Christian. I get it. Like they, they would say, you know, hey, you think you're you're free, uh, but you you have gone against the word of God, and you know you're only free because you're deceived. Like I get that, um, and at the same time, you know, me personally, and that's why it's so like this is our story. You know, I. I this is the liberation I'm experiencing that many other people are as well. And I would say heaven, yes, that God is behind this, that God is saying, come out. God is saying protest. God is saying, you know, something different needs to happen here for the sake of my church, even continuing to, to avoid a post Christendom, you know, world where, you know, we become dinosaurs in some ways because some of us have put our stakes in the ground and saying, we're not changing. We're not changing our views on God, on the Bible, on what the Christian life should be. And that's, I think that's at a disservice uh, to, you know, generations down the road. Oh yeah. Most, most definitely, especially too, because um, I mean, like I, I was saying earlier, I feel like what I'm learning is, um, this kind of journey is, I mean, insanely common, and it seems like it's a part, it's an integral part of our faith journey, like of growing mm -hmm. spiritually in relationship with, you know, with God. Um, for me, it's, you know, in relation with uh, Jesus. I'm very Jesus-centered mm -hmm. Jesus is kind of um, the yeah. way we, we go around here, kind of Anabaptish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ideals, that's your yeah. hermeneutic. Jesus yeah, is your hermeneutic. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And so, um, with this, with the the common, you know, like I said, it's a common enough journey that tons of people go through it. But then also, you have people um, who have written about kind of going through this journey. You know, Richard mm -hmm. Rohr has his mm -hmm. like order, disorder, reorder kind of thing, or the the two halves of life. Brian, you know, Brian McLaren has of like course. a map and a path that he kind of lays out. And then you uh, really you laid out these like eight stations that I thought mm. were were so cool, and uh, I wanted to see if we could uh, touch on those a little bit. Yeah, right. Stations. Um, some people ask, "Hey, why not just call them stages?" <laughs> right, stages of faith. Mark, don't you believe in? So the rebel in me pushed back on that a little bit. There's something about the typical stages of faith whether it's Fowler's work, whether it's more contemporary people are saying, hey, these are stages. I, I always say to myself, it always feels like there's better stages than, than others. Like there's a superior way of moving through these things that, that the, and a lot of them, they put as the ultimate stage, sort of a, a oneness, a mystical union with God. But I have to say, you know, I have to be fair and say some people's journey do not end with a relationship with God or the church. Now, it's not because I encourage people to go that direction. It's just because it's just a fact, right? I have an atheist who endorsed my book, right? He's one of the endorsers. And that was his journey. And, and he came out in this beautifully you know, health, emotionally healthy way where he can look back and look at it with sort of this maturity uh, and saying, you know, I've learned so much from this process. I even visited a church and, you know, I, I don't believe what they believe, but I can respect that that's where they're at on their journey. 
all that to say that some people won't always land there. So that's why I kind of avoided stages. So stations, station one, feeling at home. And some people can mingle and hang out in different stations, right, on the journey. So this is sort of the station where people can feel very much at home. Like it's a place of comfort and ease and security. Like this is my home church, man. I feel good here. I feel this is where I belong. It's reassuring, right? It's just like you go in a house and you see the same dusty pictures of your family with their weird haircuts, right? And they're like, that's, this is home. It feels like home. So this is a place where, you know, it's a sense of belonging and it feels good. This is sort of a place of security. Then people who can be at home and ah, so complicated too. Some people can be at station one, but they're not fully at home. And this has to do with trauma. And so I I don't want to digress too much, but they can be in church, be feel somewhat at home, but feel like all the good stuff is for somebody else, not themselves. Sort of one foot in one foot out because they grew up sort of with a distrust of of people, right? And so that that would be station one. Station two is things are great, man. Things are cool. Praise God, singing the songs, all is well. And there's a splinter. There's something, ooh, what is that? I don't have the word for it. Okay, psychologists might call it cognitive dissonance, but something doesn't feel right. this is, you know, cognitive dissonance is when a person holds to, to ideas that appear to be contradictory. And so something, you know, entertained, whether it's, oh man, I thought that all the letters in, this was one of mine early on, that all the letters in red were Jesus' exact words. They were the red letter Bible, right? And I was amazed at that. And this is the Pentecostal church said, you can take comfort knowing that every single word in the Bible, there's nothing that has been exaggerated. There's even in the Gospels, what you read in in red are Jesus' exact words, verbatim. And I was like, wow, if God can do that, like the, the book almost became like there was magic to it for that. Then over time, and even going to the Christian college, and they were fairly conservative, they said, well, some some authors, you know, they, they took the same story. And if you look at sort of a parallel version of the same story throughout the Gospels, you would see that sometimes they did change a few things to fit their audience. But that's not a bad thing. That's not an evil thing. You know, our modernistic notion of what hermeneutics and what sort of truth should be is very different than the narrative and oral and story culture that they were part of. All that to say is, some things can come and say, wow, this is not okay, right? Something's different here. And then that sort of station two is splinterhood where something, something's going on. Station three, this is what I call to be or not to be. The splinters get exposed, right? And then the confusion and cognitive dissonance, they're just annoying us like crazy. And so we have to choose to go back to the comfort and security of our home in station one. Or we can choose to overcome the anxiety and become an active adventurer, right? Traveling boldly to a new destination at an undisclosed location, right? So this is sort of the station where it's like something's happening and I'm having a, it's like the red pill or blue pill. Like, what am I going to do here? This is, this is a conundrum. 
Station four is returning home differently. Some people choose to go back home, right? No judgment, right? Despite some slight shifts maybe in their beliefs, they're returning to the smooth, hot, tasty cocoa beliefs they once held dear. Nothing wrong with that, right? That's people are on different journeys. Some people decide to go home. Then they, you know, hey, I dabbled a little bit and I, I even questioned and I, I heard Peter N's podcast. And no, but I'm convinced more than ever that this is the way uh, to look at the biblical text. Go John Piper. And listen, that's where they're out on their journey. Station five is disorientation. I've chosen to follow the lead of where these splinters were taking me. And my, my whole world is getting wrecked here. It's, I know I can't stay home anymore. I don't know where the destination is going to lead, but I have to follow my heart as it is in God's hands. I don't know where that's going to go, but I'm pretty convinced that going back home is not what God wants for me. Um, so that's station five. It's like this really disorienting station six is for some people, they become disoriented. Then it's like, well, F Christianity. Like what I thought was true is not true anymore. So I'm disoriented. The church sucks. God sucks. I've been let down. I've been rejected, right? This, my whole world is crumbling. Well, screw you all. And so some people, this is station six, Angstville, and where anger is one of the predominant emotions in the station, there's a lot of cynicism, right? A lot of skepticism. And for some, you might see them on Facebook and, you know, you know, they're on these sort of posts where, you know, screw you and, you know, the Christian bunch of BS and, okay, I'm trying to move through, through these things. Station seven is farewell and goodbye. Some spiritual refugees, they're looking for a home, right? They're, and some find one, uh, some don't. And they're moving through these stations and some say goodbye to Christianity. And this is station seven where it's farewell and goodbye. That could be the atheist, um, the guy that I know who, you know, really appreciated the book. That's where he's at. That's his journey. His path led him away from the Christian faith. Station eight is an extreme makeover. I would say that's probably where you are, Josh. That's where I am. And this is where there's a renovation, right? They've moved through the feelings of safety and security at home, becoming aware of contradictory beliefs, experiencing grief and disorientation, and now coming to a place of acceptance. And not like we have all the answers, but we've come to a place where we can accept we don't have to have all the answers. And that's a huge shift, and it can be quite liberating. And like you said, your, your human narrative is Jesus. A lot of people who are landing in Station 8, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, Jesus becomes the hermeneutic, becomes the, the cruciform theology, the, the place where we land. Jesus is the image of the inexpressible God, right? All of the fullness of the deity dwelt in Christ in bodily form. We can trust that God is like Jesus. God sounds like Jesus, smells like Jesus, tastes like Jesus. Jesus all the way, brother. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's good too. Ooh. Yeah, the yeah. Thank you for that. I know that's kind of a a a, a big ask to ask you to run through those. But there, I mean, uh, just listeners, so you know, Marco's in depth into all of these stations. Um, 
in his book and it, it's insanely helpful because too like just as i was reading through it like mapping myself like okay um you know station one i remember that this is me growing up in a southern baptist church um <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. then station two splinterhood comes around one of the first splinters for me was my family was kicked out of that southern baptist church because my brother uh, came out mm-hmm. to our family and they mm-hmm. said okay well if he's gay you guys are no longer welcome here um and so then you know into college i start having uh some more of these splinters the you know station three the to be or not to be i never really um i mean i'm sure i've i've hit some ideas within there and but also the returning home different station four um i don't remember Mm. too much of that either i kind of feel like i made a beeline (laughs) for Mm -hmm. disorientation Yeah, yeah. everything was just like, you know, what the hell? And then Angstville came (laughs) hard. I mean, wow, it it came hard as soon as I started working. I mean, I I had this disorientation. I I had a stint where I worked for uh, Youth for Christ after Mm -hmm. college, you know, right after I had gotten married and all this stuff. And I had these questions and my boss at the time was awesome. And he connected me with different pastors in the area that I'm Mm -hmm. still good friends with. you know, that I owe a a ton to, but man, as soon as I, I, I moved across the country, well, down the coast, not across the country to Florida, South Florida is where I was. Mm -hmm. And man, Angstville was hit hardcore. (laughs) (laughs) And so now kind of like you said, I, I find myself in station eight, but what I like how you talked about is these aren't static places. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Like people mm -hmm. can visit these different stations, go about. So I, I find myself living in station eight but mm-hmm. visiting station six um mm-hmm. quite often uh um, that's, that's that's honest brother <laughs> yeah and and maybe even in times like staff meetings where it's not the most appropriate <laughs> but <laughs> luckily the pastoral staff at my church uh they're awesome and i i'm not much of a betting man but i would put money on it that if i landed at any other church than where i'm at right now mm, um mm. i would i would not be doing what i do anymore wow. so yeah. where i'm at now has been insanely healing and helpful and and i am so so happy to hear that brother yeah it's it's rare <laughs> it, oh super rare and like <laughs> i'm i'm not uh not unaware of that and so i i make yeah. sure mm-hmm. they know all the time mm-hmm. how grateful very I am cool for that yeah. So I wanted to, hmm, I want to touch real quickly on this idea of splinters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I want to be fair to your time as well. Um, but we, <laughs> <laughs> I know, there's so much we can talk about. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy, but maybe, maybe what would be best is so, mm-hmm. cause, cause we did talk about splinters and these yeah. are like the, the beliefs that pop up and, and cause tension. And mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you do talk about, you know, some are positive, some are negative, but I mm-hmm. let's, Let's just leave that at that and jump yep. to um, this idea of emotions because mm. emotions play a huge role in pretty much mm-hmm. everything, right? We're, we're more emotional than uh, we would care to admit. But um, I mean, just from your, your perspective as a, um, you know, within the mm-hmm. realm of psychology and all this kind of stuff, what role do, do rather our emotions play in this journey and how can they be helpful to us and how mm-hmm. can they be harmful? Yeah, this is so huge. If we think about, you know, the station, you know, where we're so disoriented. Mm-hmm. If I mean, 
it's emotions that are causing much of the suffering we're experiencing, right? You talked about shame, right? The, the, one of the issues is we don't typically know how to talk about it. We don't know how to articulate it. I mean, rarely do we, you know, even some podcasts and sermons, you know, and I think this is where the field of psychology can be so helpful. But, you know, in Latin, the, the word emotion, immovare, to, to move, and they do move us, right? Like, we can be sad. Like, whether, whether we're sad or feeling shame or anger or joy, all these emotions are moving us in different directions. One of the problems is that going through this, we don't know what's going on. So, you know, there's this phrase that says that which we can name, we can tame, right? The problem with this disorientation is we don't know what we're feeling in the moment. We don't know, like some people just say in this broad sense, I feel like I'm going crazy, right? I don't know what, I just feel terrible. I, I don't feel okay. But if we can gain knowledge of emotions and increase our EQ or, you know, emotional intelligence, we can say, oh, in this moment, gosh, I'm feeling such enormous shame, right? Even to being able to name it can reduce the suffering in the moment. Instead of being blindsided by it, feeling this heavy feeling that makes us want to shrivel and hide, right? That makes us feel terrible about ourselves, but we don't know why, right? That's where it's so, it's, it's tragic. But to know like, oh, I'm feeling shame, and then to take it to the next level of, what do I do with shame? Like, what is the best way to handle shame? Like, so then we start like flexing these muscles of, oh, well, I'm feeling shame. Oh, I'm feeling sadness. Oh, right. So sadness is an emotion that communicates as a loss. Right. I'm feeling such a loss of my community, of, of friends that I have that I'm no longer... And so what is the, each emotion wants to move us in a certain direction. And so sadness typically wants to move us to get comfort and care somewhere. So what can I do now that I'm feeling sadness or now that I'm feeling shame, what can I do to help regulate myself? What can I help, what can I do to help work with these and to experience another level of, of understanding or peace. And many times it's, well, I'm feeling shame. So let me provide myself some self-compassion in this moment. Or I'm feeling shame. You know what? Let me call my friend. I'm feeling totally terrible about myself right now. I'm feeling like God hates me. The world hates me. You call somebody up. They offer words of encouragement. Like, so we know what we're feeling and we know what we can do with them when we experience them. So that's why I spend a chapter or two on not only emotions, but here's the other problem is then we use defenses to deal with our emotions. So for some people, we might feel shame and then we might eat a pint of ice cream. Like we want to defend against the shame or I'm feeling so bad, I might as well watch an hour of porn you know, or I might as well do this, or let me just spend this money I don't have. So defenses are ways that we want to avoid the reality that we're experiencing. And they're much like shock absorbers, right? To 
diminish what we're experiencing to deny reality and so that we can feel a little bit better in the moment. But we all know that it's very fleeting. So these are some of the reasons why I thought that talking about emotions, the emotions we go through, in particular in the DR journey, is so helpful. And then what we can do with them and about them too is helpful too. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that's been something that uh, has been so helpful and instrumental for me, um, mm. especially now that like, I, you know, I've been going to therapy and all this kind of stuff. And um, like being able to be more introspective and sit back and, and think about, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling this. Like being able to identify those things has mm. been so helpful. And also mm -hmm. this, um, you mentioned in, in your book as well, like this idea that a lot of times we, and I'm super guilty of this, and this is something I'm still trying to figure out, but I'll identify myself with um, my emotions or like with my thoughts rather than saying mm -hmm. I am currently having this thought. I'm saying, no, I am this thing. Mm, um, mm, brother. And it just, mm. and, and that realization being able to, to call that out um, has been so helpful. So helpful. It, it really, listen, it is, I love what you're saying. So this is this idea of fusion and with the goal we want to have of diffusion. So for, for many of us, we have a thought and we automatically think that's reality, mm -hmm. right? So I can have a thought that I'm, that God hates me. So I automatically have this experience of, oh my God, that's so true. That is true. God hates me. I am a jerk. But instead of what you're saying is when we, whether it's going through therapy or working with a spiritual director, we can get to the point where we say, oh, I'm having the thought that God hates me. Like, oh, that's just what my brain does. It's just, it's a thought spitter. It spits out thoughts. It's just doing its thing, right? So then it creates distance between the actual thought and my experience of it. So instead of God hates me, I'm a jerk, then it becomes, I'm having the thought that God hates me and I'm a jerk, but I don't have to buy in to that thought that my brain is spitting out. Now that takes a lot of work granted, but it can be very, very healing and liberating for people. Yeah, man, I, it's been crazy. And this, I, I re, so I recently switched from, I was seeing like a licensed, um, psychologist who use like a uh, family systems approach or something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Um, and Internal family systems. Yeah. And so that like wasn't, wasn't quite working for me. And so now I'm actually with someone who had like, they're, they have a background in psychology and all that kind of stuff, but uh -huh. they're more so a spiritual director. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And they've been able to provide some crazy, insanely helpful insights that, um, yeah, great. yeah she's, she's been amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Good for you. It's been good, man. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I can only say positive things, but, uh, I highly recommend that to anybody, um, who, yeah. who needs it for sure. And I guess too, like, um, we, I mean, we could really honestly continue having this conversation all day. Uh, <laughs> and this has been, <laughs> this has been so great, man. And I, I really, uh, truly, I loved your book. I want to, I have a few, a uh, few of my students. Um, I have some college students. I want to, you know, put this in their hands. Um, it'll be Very super cool. helpful Thank for you, them. Josh. Yeah, mm -hmm. most definitely. And in, in just listeners, so you know, too, in, in Mark's book, um, he does 
uh, lay out the, what for lack of a better term, the, the problem or the um, experience, the, the DNR journey very well. And then he has an entire section. I mean, the back, maybe third, maybe a little bit more of the book is all ways that mm -hmm. we can move forward. Mm. And he hits on some really important things, like the importance of having a community and mm -hmm. the importance of self-compassion, which Mark, I suck at. <laughs> I, I learned that recently through therapy. I'm super bad at that. And that's something I need to work on. Uh, but there's yeah. so much good, helpful stuff about, mm -hmm. about moving forward. I really, uh, people will definitely benefit from, from picking up your book and, uh, and going through it. Yeah. I, you know, deconstruction without reconstruction is simply destruction. Yeah. And the God that I've come to be in relationship with is not a God of merely destruction. Mm -hmm. And so God loves to um, create and bring deeper movement. And God is always on mission to heal different parts and aspects of our souls and leads us into, you know, more liberating experiences in life, right? So the, the need to have huge part of the book sort of helping folks heal and reconstruct is very dear to my heart. And each chapter has, at the end of it, has questions. Mm -hmm. And for me, the most um, powerful experience one can have with this book is reading it in community. And that's what I hope some are already doing that. And, you know, I think people can get stuff out of it individually, but wrestling through this with a community is going to be so, so vital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most, most definitely. And I think too, that's, I, so I love that the, the reconstruction bit, I know people argue over that, you know, there's been debates like, Oh, if someone's deconstructing, they can just, you know, that's their journey. They can do what they want deconstruct all the way, whatever. And I think that is fine and fair that, but also I, for me personally, I got fed up with tearing everything down all the time. Like I just got to a point where I'm like, okay, we mm -hmm. tore down a bunch of stuff. I'm here in Angstville to use, to use your mm -hmm, language. Mm -hmm. And like, this is just kind of becoming like sucky. Like I don't really want to be here anymore. <laughs> right. Like who, who wants to be in that state yeah, of, yeah. you know, F yeah. everything for the rest of their life. I, yeah, I feel yeah. like most people don't. So I love the, the effort towards reconstruction. And even like you were saying, there, there are people who reconstructed towards uh, atheism and wrote, you know, you, you tell their story in your book mm -hmm, and they, they mm -hmm. wrote a review and um, I mean, if that's what's great for that person, then like, great. I, I mean, I, I want people to stay connected to God, but yeah, um, yeah no doubt. that, that it, the reconstruction is so important. And so that's, we try yeah. to do that. It's an invitation. And, yeah. and that's, that's the attitude I have in my book is there's been enough control, manipulation, coercion to go around. Mm -hmm. So really it's an invitation and, and it's a, it's a, dialectic where I fully accept where you are. Let's say somebody is in Angstville. I fully accept where you are. And I invite you to another place maybe that you didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I also out of love, I would share, listen, from a neuroscience perspective, you are flooding your body with extra glucocorticoids that are not needed. Like these stress hormones are affecting you more than the person or institution that you're angry at. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, you know, let, let's look at the cost here, right? You're welcome to stay there. And I accept you there, 
and I invite you. But listen, I think some people just don't know how to get out. Yeah. You know, like if they had the tools, there are a few people who say, if you leave me alone, like I'm cool here. I think most are like, I don't know what, I don't know how to get out. Mm-hmm. Like this is just anger and frustration and resentment and bitterness. It's, that's just where I'm at, you know, and, uh, but we must accept people where they're at for them to arrive at a dis- different destination. That's for, for, for sure. Yeah, most, most definitely. And I think too, like, I, I know I realized at one point that like me continuing to sit in just this place of anger and resentment is only causing me harm. Like it's, it's continuing to inflict harm from past experiences the way, I mean, cause I want to validate everybody's experience. Cause I know mine were shitty and I know other people's are far worse than mine. Um, but like, Continuing to allow myself to steepen that is allowing those people or these organizations or these doctrines or whatever to keep having a say in my life, to keep, um, you know, keeping me in, in bondage to use Christianese, like keeping me in mm-hmm. chains or affecting me. And so when I can get to the place where I could break free from those things and let them go and learn to forgive and to you know, mm-hmm. try to move on from things. It's just so freeing. And it it's, is. it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. I want everybody to have. <laughs> I know. And listen, you know, anger for many people, anger is justified. Yeah. And it's just inviting a person to say to a path of, did you know that you can use your anger for fuel to, to change the system, right? Mm. To change your experience, to, to change things so people don't have to experience that again, right? Yeah. So I get it. What you've gone through, my goodness. What I've gone through, we should be angry. Mm-hmm. And let's use that anger in a positive way instead of allowing it to just affect you, right? And, and this gets into forgiveness and unforgiveness. I mean, there's plenty of research on the toxicity of unforgiveness in our bodies, right? It's, it's just at this point, a no brainer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We know that even anger can cause the heart to become less efficient in pumping and circulating blood, which means the rest of the body gets less oxygen. It affects our immune systems. It can cause fatigue. So listen, you're, you're, you're welcome to chill there all you want. Did you know there's potentially a better place for you, right? Yeah. So in love. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, Mark, this, this has been fantastic, man. Again, I, I loved your book. It was super helpful. You, uh, you called me out in a wide variety of ways where I was reading and I was just like, oh man, Mark is so right. <laughs> like you, like you came for me in ways that were positive. And so I know it's going to be super helpful for, for anybody who gets their hands on. I mean, even to like, if, if you're listening, you know, to this conversation and Maybe this hasn't been your experience, but maybe you have a you know, family member or friends, or maybe you're a, a pastor just trying to understand you know, why people talk about this kind of stuff. Mark's book is going to be so helpful to you. So I, I really think you know, people should pick it up. We'll be sure to, to link it in the show notes. Awesome. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. continue to, to spread the word. So thank you so much for, for you know, putting your heart and soul into it, for telling your story. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's super helpful and I know it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. I appreciate you, Josh. I appreciate your vulnerability, your passion. 
the courage it must take to still work in a church, um, right? I, I mean, it's it's a lot. So I appreciate you and your journey and having me on and keep on keeping on, brother. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. And that the church question is an interesting one. I get asked frequently, even by, you know, the head pastor who, oddly enough, his name is also Mark. Uh, he's like, Josh, man, like, why do you still work in a church? <laughs> and I tell yeah. him, I don't know, man, there's something about this Jesus guy. And so that's kind of what I, I stick the with. Jesus and, guy. And for you, I imagine it's the Jesus guy and the Jesus people. That's right? exactly right. It's, it's the, about the people, right? Yes, most definitely. Yeah. I yeah, have yeah. found, I've found a community of people uh, that don't suck <laughs> and that are, yeah. are willing to have these kind of conversations and meet people where they are truly not, you know, not for some sales pitch, like not as a, oh, come to our church or anything like that, but just a, an awesome group of just genuine down to earth people trying to do this thing called life together and, uh, you know, trying our best to allow this guy, Jesus, to inform, yeah, you know, the yeah. way we do things. So it's been Dude, that, that's awesome. I, I do. I would say that I've, I've been attending a church for probably over a year and almost three, four months. I would love to work in a church, but I have yet to be invited into that capacity. Mm-hmm. So that's so cool. You found a place where you can do that and um, cool, brother. Yeah, Mark, thank you so much. I'll, uh, again, I'll be sure to post your stuff in the show notes. And uh, Sounds great. Listeners, as always, go Caps. And for Mark, go Rangers. Go Rangers. <laughs> Bye.